I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 214. Y'all. What? What do you have to tell us? Put you on the spot? Um. Did you see on TikTok? I'm sure you did because we have the same like for you page. Well, besides I have kink talk more, but whatevs. But have you seen where it's like, if it's seven o'clock on the dot, where's Usher? Yes. And I'm like, how do these people not know he's in his drop top cruising the streets? <laughs> oh, God. I love that. I was like, I love that this is the thing. Also, that girl who hit her back on the bedpost and yes. they made. Oh, oh and my she's God. Like, I love you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Also, Donna had sweet tea at dinner. Can y'all tell? <laughs> She is Sorry. going a mile a minute. What do I have to tell them? I, I literally was just... Oh, you're just trying to get me to think of something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have nothing. I'm boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> huh. Everything I've had to tell them has been TikTok related the past two weeks. Well, that's a lot. This coming weekend, uh, Colby and I are going to go to the local university here, Southern Miss. We're going to go to their baseball game. Ooh. And I think they're ranked like number six right now, which is pretty impressive. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's news to me. Why did I not know this before they knew this? I don't know. I'm surprised you didn't stalk my fucking email and find out. It's not in my email, but I'm surprised you didn't <laughs> stalk something. Hell, I don't know. She picked Colby up for dinner and they have all, like all these conversations when she picks him up to like come meet me for dinner somewhere. <laughs> They just are fucking chatty Kathy, and he'll be like, yeah, I told Donald on the way here. Like, they just have, <laughs> go at it. Well, yeah, it's uh, Tweedle D and Tweedle D-E. They literally are the same. Yes. We even hold our hands the same way when we're, like, are not in use hand while we're eating on the table. Same way. I'm like, good God. Carbon copy of me. I mean, taller, but, you know, whatever. He's older, so... You know what? I was in your life first, okay? <laughs> Actually, y'all entered my life at the exact same time. Oh, my God. Because we were all in the same second grade class together. Well, he probably entered it first because uh, you know I was late. True. <laughs> and he's the only one entering this. Oh, God. <laughs> On that note, let's talk about all the people who have entered our lives in the Patreoners. Oh, that segue, though. Thank you so Smoother much. Smoother than your landing strip. I don't have one. I, it was a joke. Tell all your business, though. Go You've on. already told it. <laughs> so thank you so much, Shalise P. from California. Andy S. from Colorado. Miranda M. from Kentucky. Shelby W. from Mississippi. Emma B. from Pennsylvania. Abby F. from Oregon. Jessica C. from Virginia. And Erica Z. from California. By the time this podcast ends, never... Um, I'm actually going to know the abbreviations of these damn states. I didn't mess up once. And Pennsylvania is a hard one. I know. When I wrote that down for you, I was like, ooh, is she going to get it? Is she not going to get it? Is she going to have to do Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? No, you say Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I still don't know some of the damn uh, country abbreviations. Oh, gosh. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. Did you see that Creep Mom posted? There's like 257 episodes on patreon so if you are almost called up on this show and you're like i want more i mean bless your heart why would you not want more go to patreon because there is a literal fuck ton of episodes for you to binge today so head on over to patreon.com slash the apc podcast and let me tell you some extra slices that stuff that you know didn't make it into the episode but you know, we just have to overshare, and let me tell you, overshare we do. One's titled Shitwater, and one's titled Butt Stuff. You know, if that doesn't make you want to <laughs> twiddle your fingers across the keyboard. Well, okay. 
Maybe you're into fun stuff. I don't know. I mean, you do find out. You do find out. And like we mentioned before, if you don't want to pay monthly, you can pay yearly. And a couple people have done that. Yeah. And you get a 10% discount. I mean, we all about that discount. Well, speaking of a discount, you know who's back and giving a discount? Apostrophe. Whoop, whoop. You know that we do not mind that we are close to 40, but uh, I do... I do mind the wrinkles on my forehead a little bit. Well, me not, I mean, I care about the wrinkles, but me a little bit more caring about the rosacea that's like out of control right now. Well, it was out of control. It's better though, because of apostrophe. Right. And it's simple to use. And it's prescription skincare that gets delivered to your door. So you go online. We'll give you the website, you know, because uh, it's a good one. Apostrophe.com slash creep. But you go on the website, you fill out a quiz, and then you send some little pictures in. And, you know, let's just say our pictures were horrible. So don't be trying to be fancy. They need to see your, your skin. They need to see what you look like. No filter. Yeah, because they need to see what they're working with. You send in the worst pictures of your life, and then you get to have a phone call with a board-certified dermatologist that will customize a treatment plan just for you. Right, because me and Carrie, we are the same in a lot of ways, but our skin, it'd be different. And because it's subscription-based, you're going to get an email that's going to remind you and be like, hey, hey, it's time for you to have your uh, appointment with your dermatologist because you need to renew, ma'am, sir, person. Yes, place or thing. Also, it's time where you're sweating. It's getting hot in places. I know there's still places that are cold, but here in the South, it's getting hot. And that means acne can start because you're sweating everywhere. You know, swamp ass, all the things. But they have something for everything. Bat knee. Butt knee. Didn't know what that was, but uh, I have it actually. I didn't know it was a name, but yeah. Okay. Well, Nellie over here says it's getting hot in here. So the other thing too is that it comes with this cute little postcard that has stickers so you can personalize your bottle so i have stickers that i put on my am and pm bottles so i never had to be like which one's which i just look at my stickers and put it on so like we said we love a discount if you want to get in on this special offer and save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider, head on over to apostrophe.com slash creep. When you use the promo code creep, you get your $15 off. And that's only for y'all because y'all are creeps. So again, that is apostrophe.com slash creep. You click begin visit, then use our code at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5 then. $5 makes me what? Holla. That's right. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep and use that promo code creep to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for $5. And that's C-R-E-E-P. All right. So picture it. Sacramento, California, June 6, 1994. This was the day that was going to be the start of a new life for Christine Skubish. She was 23, and she had a three-year-old son named Nick. They had left Christine's parents' house and were driving down to Carson City, Nevada. Christine was a single mother, and she had recently gotten certified as a paralegal and was going to make a better life for her and Nick. They were going to stay with a friend at first, but Nick's father lived there in Carson City or close by, I believe, so she was pretty hopeful things in the romance department they were looking up too. Well, 
I mean, I can just imagine the determination, the sense of accomplishment because of her certification. And I mean, the nervousness of leaving her parents and the safety of her hometown, all of those emotions. I mean, I don't know. I just can imagine Christine looking forward to that two hour drive just to be with her son and let go of those worries mile by mile. But unfortunately, they didn't make it that far. They were reported missing two days later on June 8th by Christine's stepfather, Dave, because they never heard a word that she arrived at that friend's house. There was an investigation, but there were no leads at all. They seemed to really have vanished without a trace or like a fart in the wind. But then two days later, a married couple was driving down Highway 50 late at night or like wee hours early in the morning. And the thing is, they had gotten up way earlier than they had planned to because Deborah, the wife, she had got this overwhelming sense of urgency to leave her in-laws in Sacramento and head back to their house in South Lake Tahoe. And because it was so early slash late, they were actually, you know, singing to keep themselves up. We've all been there. You know, you crank up the music, you're singing loudly, kind of obnoxious, but you have to to keep yourself awake. Well, then suddenly Deborah was like, skirt, hit the power button, you know, on the radio to stop it, hushed her husband and was like, did you just see what I saw? And he was like, oh, what? And Deborah had witnessed a naked woman laying on the side of the road. Now, this highway is along a mountain range. So the terrain is what you think of when you think of a mountain range. So she was like, what the fuck? That's not normal. That was no deer, no mannequin. That was a naked woman. So Deborah said the woman was laying on her side. Her face was toward the street. Her knees were slightly bent and she had one arm underneath her head and the other on her head. So her husband was like, maybe it's a joke. And, you know, someone thought it would be funny. You know, people are weird. And Deborah's like, no, something's not right. But then they were kind of scared to stop because what if it was a ploy to get them to pull over and then they get like carjacked or something like that. So Deborah was like, look, just get to somewhere that we can call the police like right now. So they did. And the police were like, we're on it. All right. Because Deborah was like, look, I just saw this. This happened. What ifs? So they sent two police out there looked for a naked woman, but it wasn't really a way to pinpoint where the lady was because Deborah did the best she could. But again, they're in a mountain range area and it was late at night. They really weren't paying attention to detail until Deborah saw the lady. And so even though the police were there and they searched, they didn't really find anything. So they left, but they said they would come back in the morning and you know, with some light on their side, they thought they would be able to find something. So there was one place that Deborah had said that was kind of like a landmark, kind of like when I say, you know, turn right at McDonald's. This is this well-known dangerous stretch of Highway 50 that everyone called Bullion Bend. So the detective, he drove out there to the area the next morning and he was like, you know what, I'm going to focus on this area And so when he drove by, he saw this black tennis shoe on the side of the road and it was a small ass shoe. So he was like, oh shit, this might be a kid. And the family had already contacted him about Christine and Nick. 
so he was putting this together like, oh shit, this might be them. And it just so happens at this part of the bend, it's right near a steep embankment. So the officer got out, made his way down to the bottom of the ravine, and I can picture it in my mind because of movies, but I don't know all the nature shit. Right. So it's like, it, it's foreign to me, okay? So it really is like playing out like a movie in my mind. I'm picturing Walt Longmire yeah. trekking <laughs> yes. through the wilderness. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Walt. The love of Donna's life. One of many. Well, that's when this officer discovered a car. Or what used to be a car, honestly. Because this was mangled. But there inside was Christine. The officer checked to see if she was dead, and sadly, she was. Mm. He looked and found Nick's body in a fetal position on the passenger side, and he was nude and he had turned blue. So, you know, the officer took some time kind of setting himself straight, getting a handle on his emotions before he checked Nick for signs of life. And amazingly, when the officer had his fingers on Nick's neck, checking for a pulse, Nick appeared to take a very shallow breath. So he was fucking fumbling for his radio, trying to get this called in ASAP. He didn't think there were any survivors because it really was a miracle that Nick was still alive. He had now been in the car for five days. Holy shit. What they believe is that sometime after 2 a.m. on June 6th, Christine fell asleep at the wheel, which is when she drove off the road and landed at the bottom of the ravine. No one noticed the car because of the steep embankment, and no one's really looking for a car in the mountain range. The officer believes that Nick did get out of the car at one point and make it to the top, which is why his shoe was found there. Also, they believe that Christine was killed on impact. So that means that Nick was alone for five days. Some believe, like Christine's parents, that Nick was unaware that his mom was dead. And so he talked to her, you know, tried to find them help. And that's why he went up there. But And that's why he returned. He didn't just stay and like walk along the road to try to get found. He was coming back to his mom. And maybe that was something that helped keep him alive, that he didn't know she was dead And so it, you know, didn't send him in like a downward spiral, but he was alone for five days and the days got super hot, like up to a hundred degrees and the nights were super cold. Yeah. How hot that car probably got. Oh gosh. And the roof was ripped off of it too. So like just no shelter. Yeah. And he had no food, no water. And because it was only a two-hour drive, so it wasn't like they were packed for, like, a six-hour drive of cross-country adventure, you know, and, like, had packed a lot of snacks and all the things. When Nick was examined at the hospital, the doctors assessed that he would have survived only for maybe one hour tops two. He was suffering from severe dehydration and hypothermia, which to me explains his naked body Mm -hmm. because of the whole paradoxical undressing. But also, like, it could have just gotten super hot, but I feel like he would have, like, put his clothes back on if he wasn't, like, experiencing hypothermia. But because of that, you know, you get, like, super warm and you're like, oh, yeah, let me, like, I have to take all this clothes off. Like, oh, I don't know. Just this little kid by himself. Well, and I don't think he would know, like, three-year-olds know how to dress themselves, but I don't think he would have known to be like, let me go get this coat, you know? Right, true. Very true. 
And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's what happened on Dyatlov Pass. Is like they were found naked and they're like, wait, what? You're like in the fucking tundra and you're naked. But it was because of hypothermia. So why am I telling you this story? Well, because it's super odd that Deborah saw a naked woman lying on the side of the road who seemingly wasn't there at all because everyone is pretty sure that Christine died on impact and she was fully clothed with her seatbelt still on. So it could not have been her. And then some were like, well, it was Nick because he was found nude You know, and he had made it up to the top because his tennis shoe was there. But Deborah was like, look, I know what a woman, a grown woman versus a three-year-old child looks like. True. Like, even if it's like, what the fuck? Like, there is a difference. So Christine's family really believes it was Christine's spirit that Deborah saw that night and ended up saving Nick's life. And also back to Debbie, because, you know, we're homegirls now, just for a moment, like, so when she woke up, she woke up out of the blue and she was like, we have to go now. Like, I don't know. Like, we have to go. And who knows what it was? Like, she might have thought someone like something's going on at our house. Like, it might burn down. Oh, my gosh. You know, and whatever, because they were headed back home. And we've all had that feeling before. But this time she said it was more than ever before. And it just like kept leading her home, which is why they were on the path that they were on. And that's where she spotted this naked woman who, if she hadn't spotted her, they would have never looked at that place. And later, Deborah said in an interview that she felt like something was just like pulling her up this mountain and like she just couldn't. She didn't know what it was, but she couldn't even, like, wrap her brain around, like, this feeling. And, I mean, you think you're losing it because you feel like, oh, my God, we have to go home now. Or I feel weird, whatever. But you can't explain it. Right. Also, though, her husband must really love her because if someone woke me up in the wee hours of the night and we're like, pack your shit, we're going home. I don't know why, but we're going home. I've been like, what the fuck? You want to trust him and be like, okay, okay, let's just go. But it's also like, no, like, let's just wait until the morning. It'll be okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, and also, like, this is 1994, so you don't have, like, the home security like you do now. So you could be like, okay, let's just check. Okay, everything's cool. So true, because you could just pull up a camera. Yeah. Well, their story was highlighted on Paranormal Witness And also on Unsolved Mysteries, I believe. And Nick said he does remember most of it, but he only really remembers the nights. He thinks he slept for a lot of the day. And so the nights are when he was up more. He said he remembers a car flipping over and over and hitting tree after tree. And he even remembers when the roof was ripped off and how scared he was when that happened. He does remember climbing up the 40-foot embankment and sliding back down on pine straw. And he did have like poison oak, I believe, and like scratches and, you know, just different things from him going up the trek up and the trek back down. But the days again were just foggy. But one thing that does seem like... (sighs) It just makes his mom seem like his guardian angel was the fact that he remembers a bright light surrounding the car just after the accident. And then also when he made it up the road, he said he saw a figure of a woman standing there and he believes that it was his mom like watching over him. And then also add to this that it wasn't just Deborah or Nick who experienced something weird because Christine's aunt 
experienced some visions. So she had several dreams about the accident before she knew that Christine and Nick were even missing. The first dream she had, she was riding in the backseat of a car and all she saw was a silhouette of a woman and a child and they were going through like a really wooded area. And she's like, okay, but whatever. You know, you wake up, shake it off, whatevs. Then another one happened and she could identify oh, this is Christine and this is Nick. And they were standing in a front yard of some house. I don't know if she knew the house, but it was like Wizard of Oz tornado winds going on. And Christine is trying to get to Nick, but she never can because of the heavy winds. So the aunt yells out to Christine and asks if she's okay. And Christine answers no. And she asks if she will be. And Christine answers no. And so she was like, okay, this is like, this is too much. Like, what, what does this mean? So she called the parents. The parents were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's missing. This is like, this is all adding up what's going on. And so then she had a third one. And this time she saw them laying in a car in a ditch. And she saw the number 16 that just was like, being repeated over and over in the dream, which turned out to be the number for the mile marker near that accident scene. Whoa. Here's another thing. So this isn't her first time having like a premonition dream. So she had actually reached out to the police when she had these and she was like, look, this isn't a regular missing persons case. I think they're actually hurt, you know? And so she was kind of like the squeaky wheel to get this going and it was basically because of her bugging them and then Deborah's sighting and then that officer kind of putting the two and two together when he saw the shoe and then like a naked woman laying there that he went back and like went down in the embankment and like really he was like this is probably them. So I also heard that like Christine didn't have a lot of decomposition either like you would think being out in the elements like she was but she didn't have that and so they said like that kind of seems like it lends to like if you were a kid and your mom's like turning into like what you think like and I know he's three, so let's just, I know he's three. But like, if she's, her skin's turning a different color, she's smelling a way, like, right. so I'm just gonna say like a zombie, like something like, it's not your mom, you know, like what the heck, that would scare him, but like she didn't. And so they're saying like, how did that happen? Something else, like other forces are here. And so it's kind of like, what if that white light he saw surrounding them right after the accident helped with that especially because it's like with the weather okay at night the cold temperatures preserved her but if it got that hot during the day that would speed up the composition right not that that would speed up the decomposition right so do you believe that christine you know reached out from beyond the grave to help save her baby boy Or do you think it was all just a coincidence? She reached out. I think so too. I mean, I feel like we've all talked about this. And I think I've mentioned this on like an AMA before where me and Tiffany have passed. We thought my parents at the time and at this time they were both still alive. But we turned around because we were like, they shouldn't be headed home. You know, turned around, got home. They weren't there. But it's like, what did we miss by turning around? Like, what if we missed a wreck or, you know, whatever. And so I feel like it's something kind of like this. Like, if she hadn't seen a naked woman and like, 
I feel like she was a naked woman because someone's going to see that. You know, if she was a clothed woman in the dark, like, yeah, you probably will see her, but you might not, especially if it's late at night or whatever. But, you know, people notice naked. Well, and they're not going to be as likely to stop or to get help. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know people can survive things we never thought they could, but a three-year-old boy, someplace he had no idea where he was for five days without food or water in those elements. It's just like, wow. Also with poison oak. You had itched yourself to death. Like, no joke. I mean, I scratch so bad when my skin is itchy. <sighs> like, I would have gotten infection. Yeah. And I know better. A well, three-year-old doesn't. Also, like, how do you go to the bathroom? God, I don't even... Oh, bless him. But I saw on, like, a YouTube video that people were like, hey, I actually know him, and he turned out to be a really good guy. And someone else, like, tagged him and was like, me too, and he really is an awesome guy. Well, that's good. And I was like, oh, God, that's so... Like, we know they're people, but then it's also like... Oh my God, he's a real person. You know, yeah. like, yeah. he has Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and like he's friends with people, but he wouldn't have any of that if it wasn't for his mom. Mom saved the day always. Right. And I feel like she did what she could because it was a mistake on her part, like traveling late, whatever, falling asleep, but it wasn't like she was under the influence of anything. Nothing like that. But she was like, I have unfinished business here. My boy will be safe. Like, this was my mistake, not his. Like, someone's going to help him. He will survive. And he fucking did. And apparently he's thriving. Right? So this is kind of heartwarming. In, like, the saddest possible way. Well, I have another story for you. Oh, God. This one doesn't take place in 1994. It takes place uh, this past weekend. Picture it. I was snoozing on the couch like the best sleep I've had in a while. And I was woke up by Marley, you know, Marbu, Marbuji, all the names we can call her. She was whining, whining. Why? She was hungry, hungry. And not just for any food, because she has never done that before. Like she's been like, hey, I, I want your human food or, you know, whatever while I'm currently eating. But no, no, no. She loves that salmon topper yes. more than life, more than belly rubs. She loves that thing. She like waits for me to put it on. She's like, mm-hmm, and add the topper, add it add a little bit more, a little bit more. And then she eats it. But like, I woke up and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? Like, you know how it takes a minute, like. To like process. Yeah, like everything's bright. Oh God, uh, wait, what's going on, Marley? And she was just like, and I was like, oh God, okay, okay, okay. So I went over there, food bowl empty. So I like did it all. That girl scarfed it down. And so if you can't tell, Jinx is back as a sponsor. But I, I guarantee you, if you have a picky eater, and Jinx does too, they'll give you your money back if your dog doesn't like it. But Marley is the pickiest of the picky. But she freaking woke me up. Me up. Sorry. She freaking woke me up to feed her. And I've always just let her have food, like, all the time. She grazes. That's what Jax does. She grazes. She always has food because she never finishes it. No, she cleans the bowl every time. So that's why she had to wake me up this time because she was like, Uh, bitch, I'm hungry. Yes. 
a roo roo roo. Jax loves that chicken topper. And we got some of the um, dental treats that like freshen his breath. They smell good. But that motherfucker eating the shit out of those. He <laughs> loves them. Like at first, because it's a little bit bigger than his regular treat, he's like, wait, what you giving me? <laughs> wait, this is really good. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and they're two completely opposite dogs. And they are obsessed with it. Like my next shipment, it's coming soon. And I guarantee you, Marley's going to be like, oh, when she sees that salmon colored bag, because she knows what it is now. Jax loved the salmon too. He liked the chicken, but the salmon, he was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And she's never liked this kind of food ever. Carrie can tell you that I used to give treats that had like sweet potato and stuff to Bo because she would be like, no, thank you. None. This is what that has. It's like salmon and sweet potato, salmon and carrots. That bitch laps that up and wants seconds. So seriously, it's good, clean, modern food for your dogs. And they have treats, the dental chews, the toppers. Seriously, the toppers? Chef's kiss. It's like the toppers are like little things that you like sprinkle on top of their food. It's just like a little like grinded up little food. Yeah, it's like little flakes. And again, we know we all have big hearts and... Every Jinx purchase provides a meal for a shelter dog through their Give Bark program. So, y'all, try Jinx today and get 15% off your first two orders online at thinkjinx.com slash creep. That's T-H-I-N-K-J-I-N-X dot com slash creep. Creep. This gives these dogs that we love so much healthier food that they actually want to eat and you can feel good about. So 15% off your first two orders, y'all. Two orders. Go to thinkjinx.com slash creep. All right. So my story this week didn't come from a listener request. What? Alert, 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 alert. Pod person over here. Why'd you have to go up like that? Pod person over <laughs> here. But this is a pretty classic Dateline episode called Obsession, and it's been on... I just saw this one. Uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> she knows I'm lying. Yes, because y'all know how much I love it, not when she knows my story. <laughs> this has been on tons of podcasts, and you may have heard the story before, but here we go. So picture it, July 12th, 2013. We're in the village of Richfield in Washington County, Wisconsin. There's a girl named Melissa Etzler, and she's out in the park taking her dog for a walk. She gets there at about 9.45 in the morning and she pulls in the parking lot and she sees this like navy blue, I've also heard it called blue, but just let's just say blue, Dodge Caravan that's parked there and um, there's somebody in there, but they're like hanging out, like their legs are hanging out the window. And so I thought you meant like, oh, they're just hanging out. Well, they are just, like, hanging out, but, like, also, like, literally hanging out the car. Yeah, okay. They're just, just hanging out. What were they doing? Hanging out. Oh, my gosh. So, Melissa gets out of her car, and she takes her dog on a walk. They're gone for about 30 minutes, and they're gone for about 30 minutes on their walk when she's like, look, this dog's getting too hot. It's time to go get this puppy some water. She's walking to her car, and she sees, like, that blue van is still there. Well, yeah, they were hanging out. Literally. So, she gets close to the car. And you know how you do with your dog when you're, like, there's really nobody around. And you're close to your car. You, like, drop the leash so they can run onto the car. Yeah. Well, that's what she did. She unlocked the car. And as she starts getting closer to it, she hears someone, like, jogging up 
towards her. So she turns around real quick and she sees this guy like running towards her. And she was like, literally says to them, oh, you scared me. And thinking that they're just like starting their run. Yeah. Only they weren't. They didn't stop running towards her. And as Melissa sees that they're still running towards her, she realizes that the guy has a knife. Oh, shit. He had a black knife holster. He had thick framed glasses, a dark gray baseball cap, white t-shirt with blue sleeves. She, like, all, all, the, all the descriptions, right? Yeah. Well, the guy tackles Melissa to the ground, and she starts fighting. She thinks that she's going to die, but she's like, I am going to fight till the bitter end. As they're fighting, Melissa grabs the blade of the knife to stop him from stabbing her. Oh, God. It doesn't take long for the, the attacker to give up and literally say to Melissa, can I just go? Oh, no. Oh, my God. That's me as an attacker. <laughs> this and is Mo- too much work. And Melissa's like, no. The guy gets off of her, tries to get the knife away from her, and she's like, fuck no, holding onto that blade end of the knife. Oh, God. And he takes off running. Melissa noticed that her sunglasses went flying off. She had the gauge earrings. They fell out, but she's like, I, I can't, like, I can't deal with this. Like, let me just get to my car and get the fuck out of here. And she did see that when the attacker ran off, this roll of tape like not like 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 actual like you know tape fell out of his pocket like masking tape no like it's later like scotch tape no it's later identified as what they call enter tape it's kind of like to me it's kind of like bandage tape like you could definitely tie somebody up with it oh okay 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 melissa calls for a dog gets in her car and drives the fuck away where was her dog at during this attack not helping her that would have been marley should have been like oh gotta go but really and truly the attack only lasted like a minute or two like it wasn't that once she grabbed the knife he pretty much gave up but she was like absolutely not you're not going anywhere you're gonna stay here but then when he took off running she was like okay me too yeah 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 so she drives herself to the emergency room she's pouring blood in her hand because she grabbed the knife oh i'm just thinking like tendons i I, don't know the the hand therapist in me cringed when she grabbed that knife i mean you do what you gotta do you get Mm -hmm. your hand back or you won't but you'll be alive yeah but thinking of all the injuries that could have happened So when she gets in her car, she throws a knife on the floorboard and drives to the emergency room. I'm sorry. Can we please just go back to seriously me as an attacker? Like, I planned this whole thing. I'm going to get this person. And I'm like, can can I just go? It seems also like a very wimpy attacker. Like, not in the, like, brute force physical strength. Like, in the... Um, Endurance? No, like, the, the kind that had probably been, like, turned down by women and tries to attack a woman mm-hmm. to like get back their power in the in, uh, the incel of it all and then like the woman fights back and they're like can, can i just go <laughs> yes. so melissa gets all the medical help at the hospital she had six cuts on her hand three of them needed stitches all in all from what i understand she didn't have any tendon injuries she had one finger that it seems like she cut a nerve to that she just doesn't have full feeling on but it seems like she regained she had like full function in her hand so she had like my mama's finger no she cut a tendon oh that's why she couldn't bend it oh okay look my mama's finger would get caught in my hair so bad she did have a lot of road rash on her like on her elbow her butt her knees from being thrown to the ground and the like yeah oh 
But good thing for the police department and for Melissa is that she basically had a photographic memory. Remember all those little details I told you? She remembered everything. She knew the make, the model of the vehicle. She knew roundabout time. So homegirl knows her fucking vehicles. But she knew that he's blah, 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 high, like 210 pounds. You know, she knew all the details about this attacker. Definitely not me. I am him, not her. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that she had the knife in the floorboard of her car. Yeah. The blade on that knife was six inches long. That's that knife that she... I just picture the knife from, like, every scary movie. Yes. Insert, like, the scream knife, and she just, like, fucked that Ooh. and grabbed it. <laughs> so by about 11.30, police officers had made their way to that gravel parking lot where she was attacked. They found her purple sunglasses that you could tell hadn't been there very long. Like, it wasn't like, oh, these have been left and been weathered, all the things. Right. Like, they were hers. They found... Um, <laughs> they were hers. <laughs> <laughs> they found her gauge earrings. And then just a little bit from her sunglasses was the tape that she saw fall out of the attacker's pocket. So police are canvassing the area and they find just up the road, kind of by one of the entrances, three cans of beer with what looks to be like blood on them. The beer cans are empty. And then there was a guy who had found a knife sheath in the area and turned it over to police. So they like, you know, figured this was the knife sheath that Melissa had seen. So while police are looking to figure out who attacked Melissa, just three days later in the city of Hartford, Police are getting a 911 call from a mother who said that she just found her daughter unresponsive in her room. Oh, gosh. There is um, audio of this 911 call that you can get online, which you know we don't even go do that shit because I hate them because it's fucking heartbreaking. So, long story short, this is what happened. Police find out that the body that was just found is Jessie Blodgett. Jessie was 19 years old. She was living with her parents, going to college, and had just been cast as a member of the local play, and they were doing Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, gosh. So she had been in the play on July 14th of 2013. After the play was done, um, they had a cast party, and, you know, she went to it. She got home on July 15th at about 1 o'clock in the morning. And look, Jessie was an only child. And even though she was over 19, her mom still waited up for her. Like, they still had that relationship. And so her mom waited up to her just to see how it went. You know, open at night, all the things. And, well, I think it's... Actually, I'm not 100% sure. One thing said it was open at night, but then it said she was in the matinee. So I don't think open at nights are usually on matinees. So unsure, but either way... They had a cast party. So when she gets home and she talks to her mom, whose name is Joy, her dad's name's Buck, she tells her mom, you know, how everything went. And Jessie's definitely one of those people that she's like hyper aware of men's intentions and their interactions with her. And she's like the polar opposite of boys will be boys. You know, like she's has, has like absolutely no tolerance for like inappropriateness which i'm not saying anything's wrong with that um but she did tell her mom that like there were a couple of people that made her uncomfortable towards like at the cast party apparently um somebody had made like a inappropriate joke in front of her and she felt like one of the cast members was flirting with her and they were like older men you know she can she's 19 and they're like in their 40s 
But she was like, other than that, it was fine. You know, no big deal. It was enough to make her feel so uncomfortable that the night when she got home from the cast party, she wrote in her journal that she says, I think I'm being corrupted. I think certain men are taking what should be platonic love and perverting it into a competition. She says, I'm not helpless. I will recognize problems and confront them without fear. God be with me. So whatever happened at that party made her feel pretty uncomfortable. But Jessie went to bed, and so did Joy, but she had to get up and go to work the next morning. So around 8 a.m., she's heading to work, but she takes some laundry to Jessie's room and just checks on her, and Jessie is sound asleep in her bed. She didn't want to wake her because, you know, normally Jessie doesn't sleep in like this, but it's one of the only days that she's able to sleep in, and so her mom just lets her stay. Yeah, well, and she had a big night the night before. Exactly. Well, Joy comes home from work on her lunch break. And when she gets home, she's like, well, that's fucking weird. Where's Jessie? Like, she's got to be getting up for a violin lesson because Jessie is very known and loved in the community. She's an artist. She plays all the instruments, doing all the plays. Like, she loved music and that was how she wanted to change the world was through music. And she had a violin lesson that afternoon. And so her mom was like, wait, where?" Why is she not awake? Sidebar, I should note that some stuff said that she had a piano lesson that day. But, of course, there's lots of little details in these stories that get changed up. But her mom goes up the stairs to be like, Jessie, and she's not answering. And the mom finds herself getting a little annoyed that, like, why the fuck isn't she answering me? Right. Like, I let you sleep in already. But now get up because you've got work to do. Yeah. I've already paid for this lesson. Well, actually, from what... I think, you know, some stuff made it sound like she was going, like, it was her violin lesson. But I do know that she had her own little kind of side business of, like, teaching piano lessons and all of that. So if it was a piano Mm. lesson, it could have been one of her own clients. Mm, Okay. So her mom goes into Jessie's bedroom. And when she gets over to the bed, that's when she realizes that Jessie is cold. So she was dead that morning? I don't think so. From what I gather, again, this was kind of confusing to me on like exactly when this happened. But from what I gather, it was at probably around like 1030 that morning. But she's already cold at noon. So I'm not 100% sure. Because it couldn't have been at 1030 at night. But because I, I saw 1030. Right. She wasn't even home. So from what I gathered, that's it. But I I don't know. I was kind of confused when I was looking that up. Okay. Sorry. Jumping no, no, no. Ahead. You're good. No, you're good. I just know that like... That would be so hard to live with, knowing that, like... You checked on her and... Yeah. yeah. And again, this 911 call, you can you can have access to it online. But her mom is a chiropractor, and so is her dad. So her mom, like, knows CPR. So she, like, gets her off the bed, is doing CPR on her. When she rolls her over to be able to do the CPR, she sees a red mark on her neck and basically says on the 911 call, like, I, I think she's been strangled. Oh, my gosh. Because at first it was like her mom's thinking, did she fall asleep and like her face like smother in the pillow? Like, what the hell happened? This healthy 19-year-old girl, like, how is she dead? And then she saw the red marks on her throat. So when police get there, they, of course, have to protect the scene because it's a 19-year-old girl that died at home with no illness to speak of, like, they're going to have to investigate. Jessie was wearing a t-shirt, underwear, and sweatpants. There were... Oh, God, she's you. No, no, no. She She didn't have have socks. socks. (laughs) 
But and there were two little blood stains on the fitted sheet, but other than that, nothing appeared to be in any disarray. And long story short, as far as the autopsy and all, they did find that she had been strangled to death. And there were ligature marks on her neck, of course, wrist and ankles that were consistent with her being tied up. And there was evidence of a sexual assault. Oh, bless it. But yet she had on all of her clothes. So she was like dressed again. What? And like placed back into her bed to appear like she was asleep. Yeah. And of course, as far as this, like, Jessie was so well-loved. There was nobody that... She had no enemies. They look into the guys that made her uncomfortable at the party. And one of them was the director. And he was like, wait, what? I made her uncomfortable? Like, I guess he's the one that said the joke. He was like, "Yeah, my kids were there. Like, I didn't... I had no idea I made her uncomfortable. Like, yeah, what do you... What? Me? You know, he was totally shocked. One of the other guys, I, honestly, I feel sorry for him. I, I don't know, just because he his name got kind of dragged through the mud and he was completely innocent. So it had nothing to do with like where police were thinking that this case was leading them initially. So people are like, what in the fuck? Who, who did this? It's like the first murder in like a hundred years in this town. And then just like a little town over, you had Melissa who was attacked. And so it was just like... What the hell? But police didn't think that they were related because Melissa attacked with a knife in a park and Jesse attacked in her bedroom, no one else home, no signs of forced entry, and she was strangled. Well, while this is happening, there is a police officer who's helping with Melissa's investigation, and he had done patrols around that park like that was his job was patrolling that park and you know running different license plates and he remembered seeing that van there before and so in his patrol car it saves the license plates that you had been searching and so it took him a little while to find it but he finally found a license plate of that van and when they looked it up the owner of the vehicle it was like well, can't be him. He's too old, but he's got a son. Oh, shit. And the son's name is Daniel Bartelt. He goes by Dan. So the police called Dan to be like, hey, what you doing? Where you been? And Dan, when he answers the phone and he tells him where he is, he says, well, I'm at uh, Jesse Blodgett's house. Wait. Yeah, her. Mm-hmm. The murder victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's her friend. Okay. So he had actually gone over to her house with a couple of like their mutual friends. And when he got on, he was like, that was the police. And, and they want to talk to me. And they're like, well, they're, I think they're interviewing everybody. Like they probably think you're a suspect because they're interviewing everybody. Like nobody knows what happened to Jesse. But police weren't calling about Jesse. They were calling about Melissa. They didn't know that he had any connection with Jesse. This is actually even a different town too. So, Dan and Jesse were boyfriend and girlfriend in, like, their freshman year of high school. And Dan actually broke up with Jesse. And they just stayed friends. They were both very artsy in the music, theater, all the things. And he left and went to college, and she went to college, but he ended up dropping out of college and had moved back. And about six months before her murder, 
they actually recorded a song together and like put it up on YouTube and you can find it and you can still listen to it. It's kind of like a haunting thing. Right? Oh my gosh. So, so they, I mean, they were friends, they had history, all the things. So when police bring him in, they're like, hey, you know, what were you doing on July 12th? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I was working. And they're like, "Mm, were you? So like, if we contact your boss, like, are you really, were you really working? And he was like, well, because basically he lost his job, but he was still pretending to his parents that he was working full time. Oh, Lord, that's why he was a lollygagging. Right. Hanging out the fucking window. Right. So, was he hanging out the passenger side, being a scrub? Well, yes, TLC. So, one thing said, like, he wasn't, it seemed like he wasn't working at all. But otherwise, it seemed like he was just working part-time. And so, he would be gone all day, even though he was working just in the evening. Eventually, he did say that okay yes i was at that park yes i did see melissa i was just there drinking some beer hanging out and that it was just like a spur of the moment decision that he saw melissa walk into her car and he had the knife and he wanted to scare her he tells police that he saw melissa leave he went the other way and that's when he got rid of his beer cans and then he threw the sheath to the knife out the passenger window so the police get a warrant for his house and they found some shorts that had some red stains that appeared to be blood they found the baseball type kind of like a raglan shirt that was white with the blue sleeves just like melissa had identified they found a, a bag basically that had a lot of different types of tape it had the inner tape it's like inner tape 698 it's very specific i don't really understand it's just a type of tape And they found that. They found electrical tape. They found um, the dark-rimmed eyeglasses. They found all kinds of shit. But here's a little detail I left out about Jessie's death. Oh, gosh. When police were in her room, one piece of evidence that they had found that had rolled under her bed, inner tape 698. Oh, gosh. He really needs to get, like, a Ziploc bag for that. Also, tell me why I keep picturing the bubblicious gum that, like, comes in that big, hard pack, you know? And yeah, it, it's fruit by the foot. No, not fruit by the foot. Um, I don't know. I just keep picturing that and, like, it unraveling out of his pants. I have no idea. I'm going to be honest. One time I looked the inner tape up and it looked very, like, medical tape. But this kind of almost looks like duct tape meets electrical tape. Oh, on yeah. On the Google right yeah. now. But anyway... He told police some of the same bullshit about being at work, being at the girlfriends, all the things. But he did, one of the things that he didn't lie about was that he said that he had gone to Woodlawn Park that morning that would have been after Jesse's death. And police did go look and there was surveillance video of him kind of close to this men's bathroom at about 1025 that morning. So that's why I say like, I don't, you know, somewhere around in that time. Yeah. I don't think that she was dead when her mom was there i definitely think that he came in after her mom had left yeah so the police go to just inspect the area canvas all the things and they look in the garbage and they find a cereal box oh my gosh that had some paper towels and underneath that were crumpled up strips of the tape the inner tape 698 different types of rope black electrical tape masking tape antiseptic towelettes that had red stains on them 
Oh, my gosh. One of the ropes inside the cereal box, and in case you're wondering, because I know you are, it's Frosted Mini Wheats cereal. Oh, that is good. But inside that is um, one of the ropes had like a homemade ball gag on it. Not a garage, but like a ball gag. No, like a ball gag. And then there was also um, a SpongeBob SquarePants beach towel that had a lot of bloodstains on it, too. So then police search his car. And inside there, they find a backpack that was next to another cereal box. Oh, my gosh. BTK. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> so they, they got his laptop from all of that. And long story short, he had basically the same Google search history that I have about like serial killers. And he did mm-hmm. have some pretty sketchy snuff film stuff on there. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely interested in trying to learn about serial killers. And one of the films that he did have was kind of similar in the way that Melissa was attacked. So it was like he kind of used that as his yeah. like, how-to guide. Forensically, the tape matched up of the basically the same stuff that was found on him, found in the house, found with Melissa, all the things. In the cereal box. Right. This didn't come out until trial, but his DNA was found under Jesse's fingernails and like seminal fluid inside of her. He had started writing a book, I guess, and it was titled Red is Red. And in this book, the main female character was Jessica. The main male character is D, just the letter D. And Jessica's parents in the book are both pediatric physicians and Jessica's doing the college thing. And it's just interesting because Jesse really was in college and he wasn't. He had like flunked yeah. out. And Jesse's parents were both chiropractors, which is a doctorate degree. Yeah. It just, it was like similar without being the same. Uh-huh. But it did go to trial and they had the DNA. They had everything. He ended up being sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. It took him less than four hours to deliberate. And then he did get another five-year sentence for the attack on Melissa. Good. At the sentencing hearing, Buck, the dad, was like, I forgive you, you know, trying to be the better man. And Dan, being the piece of shit that he is, looked them all dead in the eye and was like, I can't give you the answers that you want because I didn't do this. Oh, my God. He's tried to appeal all the things. There's no, like... He fucking did this. Yeah. The DNA evidence is not lying. It was under the fingernails. You had the tape. You had all the things. Mm-hmm. And he's rotting away in prison now. And their parents have created a foundation called Love is Greater Than Hate. It's like love and then like the math greater sign. Mm-hmm. Hate. And they try to do things to prevent people from being victims of violence and sexual assault and you know, they're just trying to do the best to make the best out of a terrible situation. And, you know, they basically say they owe everything to Melissa because if she hadn't fought back and survived, they may not have known. Because, it, you know, during the trial, it was like people were so split because even her parents were like on this Dateline episode, they were saying like they were so torn. His Her dad was like, Part of me wanted to go hug him because they'd known him for so long. It was one of her friends. You know, part of me wanted to hug him, but the other part of me wanted to punch him, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, how could he have done this? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of people are like, do you think he was like a budding serial killer? And it's like, you know, and of course, you know, for dramatic flair, they're like, yes. But no, I think he was just too stupid. Like, I don't like 
he would have gotten caught. Like there was, he would have, he may have wanted to be, but he was never going to be because he was going to get caught. He was dumb. Yeah. He could have done all the research and been like prepared, you know, had all the kill kits he wanted, had all the things. He just was still a like, I don't mean weak as in physically. I mean, like, just like, I don't know. I don't want it to sound like he's weak because he didn't wasn't able to go through with it with melissa i'm not saying like you're weak if you can't kill people but like i don't know like i just am trying to picture like all those criminal minds episodes where it's like if you tell the killer like you can't do this you're blah blah blah, and they like kind of go off the deep end because they've Mm -hmm. been told they can't their whole you know and so like just him being like can i go now you know i don't know i just i don't know he had it in him to to be a killer like he had the psychopathy to be a killer he just couldn't execute. Right. And the only, except for with Jesse. Right. But it's because he knew her, had a history with her and And knew her routine because he uh-huh. knew to go in after the mom left, knew what door was gonna be unlocked because mm-hmm. it was a small town, they didn't lock all their doors. Like he didn't have to be a sneaky even entered in like BTK and have that like brute strength to like overtake her and all of that, right. you know. Because he couldn't the first time. Exactly. He couldn't the first time, so he had to go in when he knew they were going to be asleep and not put up a fight. Yeah. And I think that's why he, like, redressed her, too, though, was because he did know her. And it was that, like, you know, when people cover the body and all of mm-hmm. that is because of, like, the shame and the guilt and all that. That's, I think, why he did that to her. Yeah. And that's what I mean by, like, he could have had all of the, like, prep work done, all the, like, stuff to do the killing. But he had to go for the the person he knew like, he he couldn't do what he wanted to do. Right. He had failed before, and he would have failed after that. And I wish he would have failed with Jesse. Right. Because, again, I don't mean to sound like he's weak for not being able to kill Melissa. Or, I don't know. You get what I mean? Like, yes. it's a... I'm, I'm not finding my words. Damn it. <laughs> Why are words so hard? I know. I know. No, I get what you mean. Also, the cereal box. Why? If you're going to take... Because he does remind me of BTK with, like, the binding and stuff but like you gonna take the cereal box from him but also kind of reminds me of um ed kemper in the way of the insecurity Mm, yeah but ed kemper just again had the brute strength that he didn't have yeah so he was able to overtake the women and i don't know i i don't know but this guy wasn't like he was a theater kid he was but he had you know partners and you know he wasn't I mean, maybe he was. It just seems very incel-ish. I think people think they can do something. Like, I mean, again, he was a theater kid. So you play these characters and you're like, oh, I could do this. Because, okay, he had really messed up thoughts and like, you know, the snuff films and that, you know, all that. And it's like, oh, I could do this. Right. I could assume this role and I can assume this role and I can, you know, I can do it. And then when he tried, when he was like, you know what? I'm just going to run up on her and I'm going to scare her and she's just going to fall down just like in the movies. So true. And then it's like, no, that's not real life because everyone's not like that. And he didn't know what to do. And he was like, oh shit, I'm not ready. Okay. So you can practice, 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 but until you do it, you don't know. And he wasn't a very good ad libber. Yeah. And I mean, it's okay not to be a killer. You know what I mean? It's good that you're bad at it. Well, and even in the interviews with police, they were like, you know, he's like crying and wailing and like, you know, all of this, but there's no tears. Like, he's completely acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it was more about 
assuming a different role and wanting to be someone that he had looked up to, like different serial killers that he had, he admired and thought, oh, I could do that. And because he did look up specific serial killers, to I think, to try to emulate. And they were more brutal in the, um, what's his name? Uh, the specific, one of the specific ones he looked up, the South African, uh, Stoli. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you covered him. Yes. And like how he brutally murdered and dismembered and yeah. you know, all the things. And he, those were the serial killers he tended to look up more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that even if he wanted to do that, I don't think he could have carried that out with Jesse, you know, which right. is why he put her clothes back on her and like tucked her back into bed. Yeah. I think a lot of people think they can do something, you know, and then they really, even if you're like, you know what? Well, I think we've talked about this is I don't know if I could just hit someone. No, I know, know I can't. Well, okay. I've never been in the put in the situation where I've like literally been attacked. But if you told me right now, hit me as hard as you can, my body would not let me. Right. I, I don't even put on do. my weight on someone. Like if you're like scratching my leg, I'm like, I'm holding my leg up. I don't want my weight against you. Yes. I don't want, like, I, I don't know. And so I, I'd be like, <laughs> perfect example though of this, of people, but have like you seen the TikToks, like my toxic trait is I think I can do that. Yeah. But like 60 days in is a perfect example Ooh. about how people are like, I can do this. Prison's not that hard. I'm da 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 da. And then one day in, and they're walking around with a white towel around their neck because they want out. Yes. This past one, I think they, it was someone who didn't even make it through intake. And so they were like, we've never had this before. What do we do? And he was supposed to be one that like knew prison inside and out, had done this, you know, all these things. And it's like, wow. So you're exactly right. It's anything that people watch on the couch and you're like, oh my God. And you, what is it? Couch quarterback or quarter, what is it? (laughs) I don't know, that's funny. No, it's a Monday quarterbacking is what it's called. You Monday quarterback it. And you're like, well, you should have done this or I could do that. Or if you would have thrown the ball this way, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, it's easy when you're the one sitting on the fucking couch. It's not easy when you have the five 300-pound linemen coming at you. Yeah. I mean, again, if we're all in that position that Melissa was put in, we hope we react like she did. But it's fight, flight, or freeze for a reason. Because she fought. Some people are going to freeze. Some people are going to run. And I would probably freeze. I would fainting goat. And that's all. Look, you could kill me. But if you're going to try to kidnap me, you ain't dragging me anywhere. Yeah, you would be very good in a kidnapping situation. Not so good in a fleeing situation. No, no. I would not be good in any of them because all I would do is scream. But people would fucking hear you. (laughs) But I do. It's so easy to think of yourself like... Because we always want to see ourselves in the best light. So it's so easy to think of yourself like a Melissa. Like Mm -hmm. all the I survives that you do for the Patreon episodes. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's so you want to think of yourself in that way. But no, I, I, I know myself. But those are extraordinary circumstances, which is why they get a whole fucking series called I Survived. Right. And there's not as many of those as Dateline. Yeah. Because that's not the normal reaction. Right. I mean, look, if we're just going to be completely honest, I I don't know why I didn't have a tea on that, but I was asleep on the recliner one night and it was just me and my dad in our old house, okay? And I I, I still take, but I had taken uh, water pills. Uh, what is, uh, Lasix. Lasix. 
And if I take them without potassium, I will get cramps where you didn't know you could get cramps in your legs, right? Well, I got a cramp, but I couldn't put my recliner down in time. And like, I got cramps in both legs. And so I just kind of like slid off the recliner because like, it wasn't just like calf cramps. It was like on the side, in the front, like they were all locked up. Like picture like, oh, does this muscle hurt? And it's like lit up. All those were lit up because they were like hard. But yeah, your legs are straight out because you're cramping and so you can't bend them and then your chair's not going down. Yeah, so it literally like, I was like, wee at like McDonald's, okay? (laughs) So I slid down on the ground. Well, then my ass can't get up because I can't get my like legs underneath me because they're fucking cramped up. And I was like, this is where I die. My dad (laughs) can't get up to help me. Like he literally can't get up to help me. Yeah. And like my legs are going to like, atrophy because you're crammed up for so long i don't know how the body works okay um (laughs) but i was like this is where i die okay i can i can be in a wheelchair if this is where it is and then i was like just just try is what you can like literally i had to pep talk myself yeah and i finally did it and i was like oh my god i survived that's my i survived okay and I thought I wasn't going to make it, y'all. I can't survive up a mountain like my guy did for five fucking days. And he was a three-year-old. He was a three-year-old. With no food, no water. (laughs) At least at this point, you could, like, forage for something. You could be like, let me go find a creek. She wouldn't, but she could. (laughs) I'd be like, let me find the... Ooh, is that a fish? No, no, no. Okay. Mm. I think I'd rather drink my urine than creek water. I don't know what that says about me, but... (laughs) A lot. And your kink talk. (laughs) Well, on that note. Y'all have learned way too much about me. (laughs) Cramps, kinks, all the things. Well, thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the shiz. And remember. Creep it real. And and don't don't get scared. scared.